Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello, everyone. Welcome uh, to The Call, uh, live from our Barangaroo studios as we kick off the afternoon here on Ausbiz. Ten stocks picked by you. I put them to two experts and we do it all in one hour. What a panel we have today. Uh, Chris Conway from Marcus Today. Scott Phillips from uh, The Motley Fool. Welcome to you both. Good to see you, gents. Kashi, g'day. G'day, Chris. Thanks, Kashi. Thanks. Uh, a lot to get through today, so I reckon let's get stuck right into it. Uh, in the first half hour, the five stocks we'll be covering, uh, Lottery Corporation, Elmo, 29 Metals, Harvey Norman and Next DC. Stock of the day, though, I thought I'd look at, oh, I think one of the most unloved retailers, some would call it uh, a bit of a dog over the last decade or two, I reckon. And that is Maya, the big department store. Um, it reported today it's been cast aside in recent years. But is it time to start uh, looking at it more closely? It released its uh, financial year 22 results. Sales up as much as 12.7% compared to the previous year. Online sales popped up by more than a third. Maya saying it should finish the year in positive cash ter- territory, around $155 million, inventory being well managed uh, stocks in the green today who would have thought up what 22 and a half percent that looks impressive <laughs> until you realize it's just nine cents and the stock price is 49 cents um, um, uh, Scott Phillips a great Australia retail brand that has just been mm-hmm. destroyed over so many years what do you think is it yeah. worth putting Maya back on our radar such a great story, the Maya story, Koshi. One of those great immigration stories, building a yep. retail empire back in the day. Um, so a wonderful, a wonderful story. I want to say a wonderful business I can't. Has been a wonderful business for so many years. Left for dead by two things. The first was the introduction of the shopping mall, uh, the shopping centre, the Westfield, the modern Westfield. Maya, once upon a time, was the only place you'd go because you'd go downstairs for the food, you go upstairs for men's shoes, women's dresses, whatever else you wanted. It was all available under the one roof. That was the great thing about a department store. And then shopping centre said, I'll see you department store, I'll raise you by a factor of 20 or 30 times, and today's Westfield and, and the like are the result. How do you compete in that sort of environment when you can go across the shopping centre to get different clothes, different shoes, different entertainment, games, food, all that kind of stuff? The second course then is online. The great news, let me let me be a little bit kind, that online sales growth is really good. They've had quite a few years now of compound online sales growth. I'm not entirely sure that won't be enough to save the business in some form because at the end of the day, if you have a nationally recognised brand name, you're a go-to place if you get your search engine optimization half right, Search, search engine marketing, you get some of your online stuff right. There's a there's a business there. And if you're looking for somewhere to shop, it might be Amazon, it might be Kogan, it might be Maya. It's in that it's in that range, right? It doesn't need to be as big as either of those two necessarily to make a few dollars. So that's positive. The problem still remains their physical stores. There is just not <coughs> enough business to go around 
for some of these department stores. I spent a, a few weeks in the outback in New South Wales and Queensland recently um, out of Dubbo and Parks and Orange and, uh, you know, plenty of those places besides. The, the location for some of those stores is still just doesn't have the population you need. Between online shopping, as I said, and the rise of the shopping centre, Mike's got too many stores. It will have too many stores if it halves the number of stores it has. It needs to go back to a capital city, uh, you know, great place to shop, day out kind of experience. The days of winning in the suburban shopping centre are completely over. Yeah. So it's still it's still halfway between, you know, it's neither, neither horse nor cart. It's somewhere stuck in between. It's got some hope. Uh, the share price now, by the way, after that 22% gain is back where it was in 2018. <laughs> so it's <laughs> still miles below what it was every day before that. Um, so, you know, still nursing massive losses if you bought at the IPO or most of its most of its life. These are good numbers, though. This buys it time. That's what it needed. Pro- profitable. Uh, online sales growth is good. It's got some more surgery to be done. I wouldn't write it off. It's not worth nothing. Uh, they've proven that. So that's really positive. But am I buying it? No. I, I think it's going to have to shrink its way to greatness. There is a business left for Maya. The Maya brand, at the very, very least, is an online play. And maybe some of those really iconic destination city stores uh, but until it gets back to that yeah. you just don't know what you're buying and the chance that they continue to, to erode sales particularly as the economy starts to tighten uh, I, I wouldn't be buying it today yeah. no chris what do you reckon great retail brand uh retail got disrupted it was just so slow to react also yeah it's been a dinosaur koshi and uh, scott's uh spoken very eloquently about it and made some really good points to give you an idea of how far this one has fallen from grace, there are no major brokers that cover it. And until about 15 minutes ago, <laughs> the results hadn't even been written up in the AFR. I'm sure the Ausbiz team was all over it, but uh, they're just not uh, headline news anymore, if you know what I mean. So, uh, again, I would echo what Scott said. Today buys them some hope and it buys back a little bit of trust that the uh, five-year plan that we're about four years into now is making some inroads and some fairly meaningful inroads, to be fair, once again. But uh, again, I agree with Scott. You know, they need to get rid of a lot of stores. Uh, They need to grow their online presence. And they're starting from so far back. And I've said to both of you on the show before when we've talked about Myra in the past, unfortunately, Myra is the best of nothing. And what I mean by that is when you think about retailers, like if I said to either of you, uh, we'll we'll talk about one of these stocks later, if if you want to go buy a new TV, it's JB Hi-Fi or it's Harvey Norman. Meyer is not the thing that comes first to mind when you're talking about just about any product. They do a lot of things adequately, but they don't do anything great. And I think you have to be great yeah. if you're going to survive in yeah. the retail landscape yeah. at the moment. I reckon that's a very good point. All right, let's get into the stocks you want me to put to the guys. And uh, uh, Chris, Lucy wants a view on the Lottery Corporation, uh, Australia's biggest provider of lotteries, Kino, Instant Scratch products there through all the convenience stores and the pubs and clubs online uh, spun out of tab corp over the last couple of months what do you think of the lottery corporation I quite like it, Koshi. They couldn't have picked a worse time to, to spin out from Tabcorp. I think the month that they spun out the market was down about 8 point, uh, 8.3%. Uh, obviously, inflation and interest rate worries as well uh, were really hurting. But to, to put in perspective, the Lottery Corp only fell by 2.5%. The reason for that, uh, as we all know, is that uh, lotteries are fairly resilient through the economic cycle. There's a lot of research out there, a lot of publications showing that um, there is even perhaps a propensity for people to buy more lottery tickets when things are tough because uh, everyone has a cheeky little flutter hoping that they'll win the millions and all their problems will be solved. So uh, I like this business for its uh, resilience. 
again, this was the best part of Tabcorp that was spun out. Uh, they're 92% lotteries, 8% Keno, as you said, and they have a number of exclusive or long-dated lottery licenses and approvals around the country. Also, interestingly, one of two listed pure play lottery operators globally, huh? uh, and of course they have that dominant position there in Australia. So I do quite like it. I would um, I would rate it a buy, yeah. Okay. Scott? I agree with everything Chris said on quality. My challenge is price right now. Um, it, look, Pure Play Lottery is great cash flow business, uh, licensed to print money quite literally um, and, and keep a, a decent chunk of what it prints. Um, so yeah, a really, really nice business, a really strong national footprint, of course. Uh, again, more cyclical than people maybe might know because the prevalence of jackpots tend to push numbers around a little bit. Um, it's little brother Jumbo Interactive I own shares in for the record, so let me put that on the record. Um, it's, it's one of those businesses, it's gonna have relatively modest ongoing growth. There's gonna be more and more of us who gamble more often, population's gonna grow, people are gonna put money into lotteries. It's pretty recession resilient or resistant. Uh, so I like all that about it. Promise it's traveling about 26 times pro forma NPAT. And I don't know how quickly it grows. It is mm. one of the probably better quality cash flow businesses on the ASX. So nothing to dislike about the business at all. I'm just not sure I wanna pay this price. I wouldn't be selling it if I owned it. If I bought it recently, I had the spin out. Uh, probably because I like the cash flow, I like the, the the reliability, and frankly, I think we've talked about this before too. Um, I've said, you know, as part of an income portfolio, this one definitely could have a place, and probably should um, displace uh, some of the concentration people have in banks and the like. So, yep. uh, I like the business a lot. I don't think I want to pay 26 times earnings, uh, maybe 20, 22 times in this sort of environment, probably. Um, but I just I can't come at the current price. That'd so be a hold for me. Okay. All right. Uh, Peter wants a view, uh, uh, Scott, on Elmo, the uh, big human resources payroll expense management software business. Uh, Peter goes through um, his questions quite long uh, and pointing out uh, the share price has basically halved in the last year. Uh, third quarter business update um, showed that um, they're going to finish a financial year at the high end of guidance, recurring revenue up 33 percent uh, positive EBITDA turnaround from the negative the previous quarter. Uh, Peter's saying, is this the right time to nibble at Elmo Software? Even though tech stocks are still out of favour, they've had a bit of a bounce back. Mm. Yeah, mate, Peter's, Peter's stolen most of my points I was going to make. So he obviously knows the company pretty well. That EBITDA turnaround is really important, but it's not an impact turnaround yet. The market hates unprofitable and it hates, hates tech right now. As you say, a bit of a turnaround recently. Last week, we had the best ASX week in four months. So there is some sense that maybe that positivity is recovering. Though yesterday, we also saw some big falls in tech. So the roller coaster ride is not over yet. The problem is we don't know how much longer, how further, how much further it would go. I have no view on the short to medium term performance of the share price. It could halve from here, it could double. I don't know. What I do know is if you look at the business now, and as Peter's pointed out beautifully, um, this is a business that is getting it done. The question for investors, how long are you prepared to wait for profit? And how big is that profit relative to the inflation interest rate issues we're having right now? We know the basic maths on investments come down to how long do I have to wait for the money? And what is the discount rate or simply the inflation rate if you want to use that, whatever discount you want to use for that money. If it's coming in three years time, five years time or 10 years time, it's worth a lot less and it's worth a lot less the higher rates go and the higher inflation goes. Add that to the question about whether or not it can continue to fund itself. And those are the big two, two issues across tech right now, not just Elmo. That being said, the 50% fall is astonishing. Again, you gotta be a little bit careful. Was it simply worth too, was it selling for too much? 
at that price, probably. Is it too cheap now? Very possibly. I'm going to go with a cautious buy on this one, Koshi. Mm. The business performance is very good. Um, it can't do much better than it's doing to get the growth that's trying to execute on its strategy. The reason it's a bit speculative is I do think you want to be a little bit careful about how long it might take for that money to come through, how the market might value it, and in a worst case scenario, what does it have to do to raise more capital yeah. if that's required to fund that growth? So. Uh, cautious, speculative buyer for me, okay. but I do think it'll be a market beater from here over the long term. Yeah, Chris, what do you think? Just backing over some of those results, uh, the annual recurring revenue was the thing that really stood out to me. A any growth company wants to know at the start of a year, say January 1, how much money is likely to come in and then how much they can pump back into growing the company. So uh, that ARR uh, jumping up is is very impressive. Um, they are burning a bit of cash. So at the half year, they had 58.4 million cash uh, last time out. So within three months, they burned about 7 million. So they're down to 51.4 million. So that's just something to keep an eye on as they do try and grow aggressively. How quickly are they burning uh, their cash reserves? Uh, and then in terms of the size of, of the opportunity, so they have market penetration for their mid-tier product. This is for uh, medium-sized companies. They're about 10% in Australia and New Zealand, less than 3% in the UK. And for their small business, it's less than 1%, less than 3%. So what that tells me is there's a massive, massive opportunity out there for them. But then I went and had a look at some of their competitors in this space, and there is quite a lot of them. So uh, some of the competitors that they're grappling with have found you, Bob, Employment Hero, and TeleHR, and Monday.com. So they do have an incredible opportunity. Like Scott said, they are executing very well. The concern for me is the competition. It seems like there's a lot of players in the space. Um, but on the whole, I, I don't mind it. Uh, I probably wouldn't be quite as, a, as bullish as Scott, but it would certainly be a hold for me from here. Okay. All right. Uh, Chris, uh, Michael wants to be on 29 Metals. Um, a um, two um, obviously a resource stock, uh, copper, zinc, gold, and silver. Um, two two mines, Golden Grove in West Australia and Capricorn Copper in Queensland. Um, how do you see Twenty Nine Metals? Yeah, this is a tough one. That the share price has been absolutely hammered within the last few months. Three dollars down to a dollar forty-five. Uh, it's because of the falling copper price. Uh, higher costs, they've uh, had an increase in capex or forecast to have an increase in capex, falling zinc price, and they lowered their precious metals guidance as well. So everything that was rosy suddenly is uh, not looking quite so, but that's this is normal for the miners at the moment. This is not unique uh, to 29 metals, so uh, I don't think they should be unfairly tarred with that brush. Uh, they did have some second quarter results on the 20th of July. They beat copper output at Golden Grove by about 5%, depending on which broker you ask. Uh, zinc, however, missed by 15 to 17%. Silver missed by 7%. All in sustaining costs were higher, so it's costing them more and more to dig this stuff out of the ground. And they had lower product sales as well. And that all says to me that they're probably going to have a challenging six, maybe 12 months. Um, with that mix of factors across those dimensions I was just talking about. Uh, and not that you necessarily buy uh, mining stocks for their dividend, but a few brokers have suggested they won't pay a dividend for 2022 either. So I, I think it comes back to how you feel about the copper price. Probably not that bullish in the macro environment that we're going into. You know, we know GDP growth is slowing around the world, so less and less demand for copper. Uh, and then in terms of an execution point as well, I'm not saying they're executing poorly, but costs are going up and uh, and their expectations are lower. So um, I, I probably couldn't find a way to buy this one at the moment. 
but I'll be keeping an eye on the copper price. And once that turns, then uh, obviously you'd, you'd fill your boots with it. Yeah. Yeah, Scott. Yeah, Chris has nailed it. I don't love minerals, as, as you know, Koshi, and particularly when you're looking at the commodity prices. That being said, I actually do prefer lower commodity prices than higher because of the risk-reward, right? When it's trading at record highs, it can always go higher, but the downside risk is meaningful. Once it does fall meaningfully, then, to Chris's point, um, the, the downside risk becomes commensurately less, and then the risk-reward kind of tends to, to flip in, in terms of the positive. That being said, uh, what Chris talked about in terms of the, the increasing cost is the one I'm probably most mindful of. They can't control the price of their commodities. That's just the cost of doing business when it comes to mining. So you've got to accept that you take the market price. If you do have rising costs, though, um, the questions remain. And, and, of course, volumes are struggling as well. The operational excellence, the operational result is all you can control. And those numbers don't look flash right now. It may be a one-off. It may be something that recovers or simply reverses in time. Again, if that's the case, this might present an interesting buying opportunity. But with a copper price probably higher than I'd like from a risk-reward basis, and that execution still with question marks over it, um, even to Chris's point about you know, not paying a dividend, it's not even probably not buying it for the dividend, but plenty of other players are paying that dividend. So in a relative sense, again, it's also not particularly attractive. I'd give 29 medals a miss. Okay. Uh, Maggie, let's get back to retailers. Maggie, uh, Scott wants a, uh, uh, a view on Harvey Norman, the uh, uh, the big retailer, um, and poses an inc- interesting question. Harvey Norman versus Adairs as refurnishing of flooded homes continues. <laughs> yeah, I guess someone's going to make some money from every every yep. bit of bad news, right? Uh, we saw during COVID a whole lot of businesses do really well because they happened to be online or something else and got the benefit from that. Uh, this time around, home remodeling, refurnishing. Uh, I've got some flood damage downstairs at my place. It has to be fixed. Okay. I'm not sure whether we use Adairs or Harvey Norman, but we may use either or both. I will disguise my own shares in both companies, by the way, and that's probably going to underscore my confidence in Harvey Norman. At the moment, the, the business is trading at nine times earnings and paying an 8.7% fully franked dividend yield. Now, I don't know that's necessarily going to be held if we do have economic challenges. We've kind of alluded to that. Chris mentioned it earlier. Maybe that falls. Maybe it falls to 6% or 5%. Still fully franked. You're getting you're getting effectively almost an entire equity return just from the Jeez. income alone. Um, I think the shares are just way too cheap. I think if you buy them today, you'll do very, very nicely from the income over time. I think the, the shares are too cheap. There might be some rocky times in the meantime. Again, I'm a long-term investor. I have no idea what happens in 12 months' time or even six months' time. But if you look at two, three, and five years and say, was I happy to buy Harvey Norman on a single-digit PE and very close to a double-digit dividend yield? Um, add the Franken crest at 8.7%. What are you up to? 12-ish, something like that. Um, Just just way too cheap to ignore, way too much dividends to ignore. Mm. Even if those dividends are cut, I want to be very clear. I'm not promising they'll maintain that level. If we do have an economic downturn or recession, we absolutely will see that dividend cut. Uh, But I think over time, it returns to a pretty good level. I think the shares are too cheap to ignore right now. So uh, I own both. I would happily buy both today. On balance, I do think I'd probably favour Harvey Norman, given how cheap it is. Okay, because Adair's has a high PE, doesn't it? Um, Adairs came up with uh, Gaurav and Mathan about a week or so ago, 10 days ago, mm. and, and Gaurav mm. had a sell on Adairs. He thought it was just getting out of whack compared with other retailers. And uh, back then, because Adairs was the, the stock put to the panel, he said he'd buy Harvey Norman rather than Adairs. Uh, yeah, look, I'd happily buy both, Koshi, but, yeah. I, but I think that I think Gaurav's relative assessment is absolutely spot on. I think Harvey Norman's a better, a better buy yeah. than Adairs right now. Yeah. yeah. Chris? 
Uh, I would agree that Harvey Norman would be the pick of the two. Um, it's very difficult to disagree with Scott. I don't like doing it, but um, I think <laughs> oh, you might on. get it. Slap him down. Slap him down. (laughs) (laughs) I think you might get an opportunity to buy this one a little bit cheaper over the next 12 months. So I agree with Scott's long-term premise, but I wouldn't be a buyer of it right now. And the reason for that, it's it's, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, Harvey Norman has a skew towards large items. So, you know, furniture, bedding, uh, white and brown goods. And we've over-consumed those things in the last few years. So I, I understand Maggie's point about flood damage, but I don't think people refurbishing flooded homes will be enough to compensate for the fact that through COVID we were sitting at home buying all this stuff in the first place. So there's going to be, I think, a bit of a lag period where sales will naturally dip, uh, throw Mm. into the mix uh, what we were talking about earlier at a macro level. And like I said, I think you might just get an opportunity to pick this one up a little bit cheaper. So um, happy to agree with Scott in the long term, but uh, maybe just cool your jets on this one for the moment. And if you can get it a bit cheaper. It is quite uh, interesting because in the markets, there, there are the two camps, the doom and gloomers on, on retail, which, um, not being disrespectful, but Chris, uh, you're in. Um, and, then, and then the others that are saying the doom and gloomers have just got too out of hand. They've got too far the other way and they will point to JB Hi-Fi and go, well, retailers so far with their, uh, and Maya, uh, are proving the doom and gloomers wrong, that people are still spending money. Yeah, and even the retail sales last time out, 0.9% versus 0.3% expected. So, yeah, I'm not quite doom and gloom, Koshy. I just think uh, if you can time these things, uh, you might uh, be uh, giving yourself a slightly better opportunity or a slightly better entry point. But uh, worth saying, there is a price for everything. There's Obviously, even there's a price for Maya. So um, you just got to be patient (laughs) and get that price. Uh, You throw it out like, geez, uh, when you scrape the barrel, there's even a price for Maya. that's it. Eric, Eric wants a view, uh, Chris, on NextDC, the uh, the big data centre operator. We've had a run of these on the call to Alaska. We had Megaport yesterday. We had Macquarie Telecom just the other day as well. So we're going through them all at the moment. What do you think of NextDC? Well, it's a beautiful segue from the last stock because I'm going to talk about price in this one as well. And I think the reason why these stocks are popping up, Koshi, is because you know, everyone wants to know when to buy tech again. Yeah. Uh, I'll start by saying good luck figuring out when the exact moment is to buy tech. You're not going <laughs> to know it until probably three months after the fact. So uh, I do quite like NXT for the reason that uh, this is going to sound odd, that it operates not like a tech stock. It operates to me more like a utility company in the same way that uh, a toll road operator spends a whole bunch of money building a road and then charging people for the next 50 years. Uh, with their data centers, NXT does a similar sort of thing. They build these uh, data centers that cost hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, They don't know when the uh, demand is going to arrive, but they have to build them because if they don't, then someone else will and they'll steal market share. But then over time, they fill them up and it's companies, governments and other major institutions that are needing more and more data storage. So the questions I ask myself with NXT, are they good enough at what they do to sustain that competitive advantage? I think the answer to that question is yes. And then are they part of a long-term mega trend that will reward them far enough into the future to cover those initial costs and make a profit? And I think the answer to that is yes as well. And then as I said at the top, I think it then just comes down to price. 
And I think at the moment you're being given an opportunity to buy NXT at a, at a reasonable price. Certainly wouldn't call it cheap, not by any traditional metric. But in the context of the way that this company trades and this company operates, I think you're being provided an opportunity to be a buyer at a reasonable price. So it would be a buy for me at okay. these levels. All right. It is interesting, Scott, is that everyone wants to... Uh, no, when tech's got to got to turn around, I must admit I'm I'm waiting for that as well. I had no idea, but I, I did uh, nibble a bit in the super fun uh, inordinate two months ago, uh, and been happy with that. So selectively, some of the tech stocks are coming back if they platform techs and they've got a bit of a moat. Yeah, they are, Koshy. By the way, if, you, if you're doing that well, maybe uh, we should change chairs. I'll, I'll host one oh, day. Oh, no, you God, can, no. Uh, you can, you can no, I've been... I, I, I only take all your advice. That's the beauty of doing this show. <laughs> <laughs> I just get the best brains the in the seat. business to do it. <laughs> and, and me, which is which I appreciate. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, look, it's, it, it, is a, it is a tough one to work out when to, to buy this sort of stuff. We talk about timing with, with Harvey Norman and others before. Um, I'm going to say I, I, timing is not my forte, right? So I look out three, five years and say, what's the earnings power of this business at that point? How does today's price match up with that? And I still get it wrong sometimes, but that's kind of what I'm trying to do with with all of these businesses. And so you're right, that's trying to pick the bottom is just really, really, really hard. Hmm. Um, I'm a long suffering Kogan shareholder, as your viewers well know. Uh, it continues to fall and I'm looking at this thing going, it's either worth nothing or it's worth a lot more than this price, but the range at the moment is is coming down to both business execution and investor appetite and investor sentiment. And trying to pick that is really, really tough. Um, NextDC, Chris has uh, done a really nice summary because I've missed NextDC the entire way through for one major reason. And sometimes, you know, just saying, I don't know, I, it's, it's too hard for me is why I've just simply given this one a miss. And that is that question about competition, the question about long-term mm. margins. There are some really specific things that give these individual um, uh, distribution centers, warehouse, data warehouses, a, a an advantage. That is proximity to the user in some cases and speed. So those are moderate kind of moat-ish uh, at, at a center by center basis. But if you look further out from that and say, well, are we gonna use a lot more of this stuff? Yes, we are. But will there be a, a, a kind of surplus margin available to next DC or others at some point? And I look at this industry and just think they're kind of, and this is, a, this is please, please be kind with me, they're kind of juiced up REITs at some level, right? Yes, they, are, they have specific information or specific uh, technology inside them, but if this was a aged care facility or a shopping center or an industrial warehouse, the fact there's data inside them rather than something else is of some value location-wise, as I mentioned. Other than that, I don't know where the long-term margin support is for these guys. And so if I think about the international players who could come to the market, the fact is, Chris said, these guys got to build more just to stand still. At best, their incumbency and first mover advantage gives them some protection. And maybe they always dominate, and maybe they always charge those surplus margins. I'm just not sure that that's necessarily the case. And at some mm. point, if data centers become a commodity or a commoditized offering, then you're going to get you know real estate style returns rather than textile return. And maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. I, I literally, I'm not going to short this thing. I, I mean, I'm saying it's definitely going to happen. But if I look at it and think, am I so sure in three, five, seven, and 10 years time, there is surplus margin and it all accrues to next DC? I'm really, really not. And so at a decent price, good assets, well run, can't complain about the business itself, but from an investment perspective, are there going to be sufficient returns there for investors at today's price? I'm just not sure there will be. So okay. I, I agree with Chris on quality. I'm not sure I want to pay this price. Okay. All right. Let's just recap the uh, first five stocks. Uh, Meyer, after their uh, good update today, a no from Scott and Chris. Uh, 
the Lottery Corporation, um, a hold from uh, Scott, a buy from Chris uh, Elmo, a cautious buy uh, from Scott, a hold from uh, from Chris, 29 medals, no from both. Uh, Harvey Norman, a yes from Scott, a no from Chris, and the reverse with Next DC, a yes from Scott. Uh, a yes from Chris, rather, and a no from Scott. Uh, here at the call, we've been following our own fantasy portfolio um, as picked by the Investment Committee. Uh, the latest episode of the Investment Committee meeting is live for you to watch on ausbiz.com. Uh, next meeting is next week. Uh, let's check in with the portfolio from the last meeting. Uh, Tyro, Qantas, Frontier Digital Ventures, Tabcorp and Steadfast Remove, Badcorp added, and they've increased the cash holding to 10%. Uh, if you look at how the fund's been going down, about 4% since inception on the 1st of March. Uh, you can see all the stocks in the calls portfolio at osbiz.com uh, portfolio. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. If we take a look at the uh, next five stocks for this half hour, they're called Breville, ResMed, Thorn Group, Whitehaven Coal and Orica. Uh, Scott, uh, Nathan wants a view on Breville, the, uh, the big ma manufacturer of uh, uh, kitchen products, not only here, but around the world. Uh, what do you think of mm. Breville? Um, Premier Investment, Solomon Liu, is one of the big shareholders in it as well, is it? Yeah, that's right, Koshi. This is a really interesting one, because this is kind of the other side of the Harvey Norman story, the Harvey Norman question. Um, yeah. And you talked about those who are kind of feeling negative about the economy and positive. Um, by the way, just really, really quick comment on that. I think right now, the numbers to date have been what's been great about the economy. And the economy pre-interest rise was actually doing really well pre-inflation. We saw having JB Hi-Fi up 11%, retail sales up, but then you gotta look forward as well. So I, I, you know, I, I won't put too much, uh, too much heat on Chris because he's looking forward and saying as I am, hang on, the RBA is trying to slow the economy. That's literally what they're attempting to do. That's the entire reason um, for interest rates going up. And of course, inflation does that automatically anyway. Um, so there is a question of where have we been and where are we going? And, and does the line change shape? Does the, the angle change from strong growth to something flatter than that, maybe even a decline if the RBA get it badly wrong. So the Breville story is a bit like that. Will people keep buying these things or have they, to Chris's point before, have they already bought up a kitchen full of Breville appliances and is that story over? I don't think it is. Um, I, I am, I am a, an optimist. I am positive. Not that, not that Chris isn't. But if you think about, again, that five-year view and say, does Breville, is Breville a bigger and better business in five years' time? Will today's price look attractive in hindsight at that point? I think the answer is a yes. The, the execution of Breville has been spectacular. You only look at their um, the 10 years worth of, of, of results. The profit line took a bit of a dip for two years ago, but it's just been consistent and, and that, they've kind of recovered that, that fall off in the subsequent year. You can almost draw a line straight through that and look at the growth of the, of the business. Good returns on equity. So a really high quality company. I like the business a lot. Um, it's at the top end of what I pay for it. At the moment, it's 25 right. odd times earnings. Shares have fallen by about a third. So there's plenty of opportunity there. If you liked it before, I don't see any particular weakness in the operations itself. The big question mark is, is 25 times cheap enough 
given what we might suffer if there is a downturn. And I think I'm an optimist over five years. I wouldn't be at all surprised if we have a recession in the next 18 months. It, it, I'm not predicting. I don't do forecasts, but very, very possible, right? And so there may well, as Chris said about Harvey Norman, be cheaper prices to come. Uh, because I don't know the answer to that question, I just don't try and <laughs> try and answer it. If I just don't know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try and play the game. I'm gonna say, you know what? I don't know, but I think today's price is worth paying. It's at the top end of what I pay. It is a cautious buy from me on success and um, track record. 25 times is about as much as I would pay. I'd much rather it cheaper, quite honestly. But I think probably it's a market beater from here. Much higher, though, would be straight to a hold. So okay. consider this the very, very, very edge of a buy for me. Sure. Uh, Chris? Yeah, I arrive at the same conclusion as Scott, uh, hold slash into a buy. Um, I think context is really important. You know, uh, Breville was uh, a market darling there for a while, and the share price sort of departed from reality because it was executing so well, as as Scott points out. I think what these guys have uh, up their sleeve is their, their, their global expansion. You know, uh, they have the opportunity to sell into new markets. They're already starting to do that. And they have a fantastic track uh, track record in terms of uh, in terms of management, um, and they can probably maintain their margins a little bit better than um, some other retailers because they can adjust their costs and pass those costs onto uh, uh, the end consumer. Because Breville is a known brand; it's a mm. it's a highly regarded brand. So. Um, yeah, I arrive at, like I said, I arrive at the same conclusion, a slightly different way of getting there. Um, you might be able to pick it up cheaper, but again, using Scott's five-year analogy, I think paying a price now, um, the paying the price now um, would probably hold you in pretty good stead. Okay. Uh, Chris, Aaron wants to be on ResMed, the big uh, global healthcare company listed here in Australia, um, medical device manufacturer specialising in that um, treatment of sleep apnea. Um what do you think of Brisbane? I do like Akoshio. I'll come straight out and say that it would be a buy for me. They uh, launched their new device mm. in August, the AirSense 11 device. And apparently what this device has shown early is that it increases the lifetime value of patients. So people are taking the devices up earlier. And then, of course, because they're doing that, because they're getting, getting good results out of it, they will cycle through and use more mm. results, uh, sorry, more devices over the course of their uh, their treatment period or for the rest of their life. Um, there was a chip shortage there as well. Those shortages are easing. That's providing a little bit more of a positive outlook for the company as well. And the other major benefit is um, the fact that their major competitor, Philips, is going through a recall at the moment and they'll probably, uh-huh. out of, probably be out of the market until about FY23. That's the current estimate. So there's about 1.6 million patients worldwide waiting for devices and the, the analysts believe that could swell to about 2.8 million uh, in FY23. So these guys uh, have a have a good runway and they've got it all to themselves yeah. uh, as, as luck would have it. So again, I quite like it. Uh, I was a buyer of this one recently in the Marcus Today newsletter. I've got a target up towards 40 bucks. Okay. All right. Uh, that's, uh, Scott, always good when your major competitor uh, has a problem. Fisher and Pike will do, um, uh, are a competitor too, aren't they? Mm. Yeah, yeah, they are, mate. Both respirators, sleep apnea machines. It's it's a similar type of technology used right. in very, very different applications, everything from right. hospitals right through to, to households and continuous positive air pressure or CPAP machines. Uh, it's a really, really big area. Um, I think it's a really attractive area. I, I'm going to. I hate to disagree with Chris, so I'm not going to. I'm going to agree with Chris entirely and call it a buy. <laughs> um, I, this is 
There are very few businesses. I'll, I'll put Cochlear in the same in the same space. Yeah. That have really really long term industry tailwinds. If you think about the growth, well, let's be honest, we're all eating too much and not exercising enough. The growth in diagnosis of sleep apnea is only continuing to grow, and I think really will for the foreseeable future. Not great news for the planet's health, but um, the, 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 these guys are, are making every post a winner, solving and treating these particular conditions. It is going to be one of those endemic first world diseases, and as the developing world is developing, uh, they'll unfortunately find themselves in the same kind of position. So if you think about the growth in those two markets, the number of people joining the affluent part of the world and the number of those in the affluent parts of the world who are developing sleep apnea and associated conditions, this is a super long-term one for me. Hospitals will, of course, need the machines as well. The number of and types of treatments available using this technology will continue to increase. So it's a wonderful, wonderful long-term track record. It is Getting close again to the top of what I'd pay for ResMed, I, I don't think it's a buy at any price, um, but the sheer value of that long-term compound return, it is the very best in class like Cochlear. Uh, yes, Fisher and Paykel are great. Uh, so is Philips, they're, they're, they're great. But ResMed have that kind of best in class brand, and particularly with that recall, even more attention is going to be put on the quality and the brand offering. Um, I like ResMed for a very long time. Plus, as Chris has already mentioned, the replacement of the machines, the replacement of the consumables, not exactly a razor and blade model in the same way, but there's a nice ongoing requirement for consumables plus upgrades and replacement of machines over time. It's a really good long-term income stream, I think, for the company, and I think it'll make it a good investment for investors. Okay. All right. Gee, Chris, you're showing off. If you said you bought it two months ago and it was down around $28, <laughs> looking at that chart, I think you're skiting now. Um, <laughs> a good time to buy that then. Um, Scott, Alan wants a view on Thorn Group. Now, Alan tells a bit of a story. Uh, he bought it in 2016, still got it. Shares have plunged. I keep buying, averaging down. That will be a question from me to you uh, shortly. Uh, is averaging down a good thing to do? Uh, but Alan says, now I'm close to break-even point. Company paid a lot of dividends to shareholders, including selling part of the company. Uh, please let me know, is there any hope <laughs> for this company. Of course, Thorne owns radio rentals. They're into equipment finance uh, for uh, for a whole bunch of laundry appliances, computers, furniture, and the whole lot. Uh, what do you think of Thorne? This is a really tough one, Koshi. It's a business that has, I think, had its, well, so far at least, best days behind it. Radio rentals right. is all but gone now. Um, the consumer leasing has been taken overtaken by buy now, pay later, uh, the likes of, of that sort of thing. Even uh, Flexi Group now, Hum, uh, that kind of consumer leasing business is, is probably bypassed it. And again, even the commercial leasing business is not looking particularly flash. Thorne has got a lot of work to do to try and reinvent itself to become uh, a growth business or growing, even a growing business, not a growth business in the sense we talk about tech being growth, just finding sustainable long-term growth. Um, at the moment, P is only six, right? So the market hates it. And I can understand why you look at this and say, gee, it doesn't have to do much. A PE of nine, that's a 50% growth in the share price. Um, you can have a single digit PE and still make 50% return. So I get why that sort of thing is attractive. The challenge for investors to work out, is it really deep value or is it a value trap? Yeah. I find it hard to I find it hard to tell someone they shouldn't buy something at a PE of six that even has some semblance of life left because the downside is not huge as long as it doesn't go broke. Frankly, it could, but probably unlikely to. So your question really is, 
Is there going to be long-term returns from this thing? Is it a cigar, but, you know, one last puff? Maybe there's something if the PE jumps a little bit. Um, that's the kind of question, I think, the kind of game you're playing. It's not what I love to play, generally speaking. I want to see some sort of moderate kind of growth expectation. I'm not sure I can see that with Thorn. Uh <sighs> Look, I, I, I think if you bought if you bought a basket of established industrial style kind of you know brands like Thorn, you buy fifteen of them, you're probably going to make money. You're probably going to make some good money. Is Thorn one of those? I don't think you can know right now. So it makes it really speculative yeah. and really high risk. I wouldn't buy Thorn personally, but if you said, look, I could buy a basket of Thorn and, and ten or fifteen other similar ones, I'd expect to make some money. So that's kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth. I'm not going to buy it. Um, hold it best for me. Okay. All right. And and averaging down, do you just uh, averaging down? Investors have the mentality: I'm losing money. I'll average down. That will be better. Um, yep. Is that the way to think of averaging down, or do you say, okay, I'll regard averaging down every time I buy in. Would I buy this from the start as a new investment? Is that that the way to approach it? Mate, you know that it's absolutely the last case. The shares don't care what your previous price was. The yeah. average price between two parcels doesn't make a, a single zack of difference. Um, the only question for you, to, to, if you've got to invest a hundred or a thousand or ten thousand dollars, to say where is the best return I can likely get yeah. with this money? If I've got a thousand dollars today, where can I put it and make some money? Now, if at twenty-five cents, Thorn's the best idea, that's great. Whether you bought the last shares for five cents or fifty cents is completely irrelevant. Yeah. Whether you're averaging up or averaging down, in fact. Some of the great success stories, if you'd averaged up in a CSL, if you'd averaged up in a Commonwealth Bank, if you'd averaged up in a Google or Amazon or something else, um, averaged up in a Berkshire Hathaway over 50 years, you made an absolute fortune, right? So I get the temptation to average down. It kind of takes some of that psychic pain away. It really is not very useful for uh, for, as a a portfolio management tool. Look at your money and say, where do I invest the next $1,000? What's the single best place? If the average price of Thorn stays high, you buy something else that doubles, like Ordinate or uh, or Resnet, as you guys have talked about already two months ago, yep. buying Thorn on the way down or buying one of those on the way up, you're much better off buying yep. those companies and maximising the returns. All right. Scott Phillips, Motley Fool and, <laughs> and financial therapist. Um, <laughs> Chris, what do you think of Thorn? <laughs> Uh, yeah, this was difficult for me, Koshi, I'm not going to lie. And, uh, you know, averaging down for me, we're just talking about it is, you know, when you have a thesis of a company and there's a price change, obviously the price becomes mm. less, but your thesis and your outlook hasn't changed. So you're simply viewing it as an opportunity mm. by what you still think is a great company at an even cheaper price. That's when I would average down. Alan seems to have been averaging down in a company that has been very messy and is trying to reinvent himself, uh, reinvent itself. And I would humbly submit that that's an incredibly bold strategy. It's not something that I would do because there's so many unknowns. So these guys hived off uh, Radio Rentals. They sold that for 45 million bucks. Like Alan said, they gave some money back to shareholders, but now they're trying to launch new offerings. They're doing the equipment finance. Uh, They're doing small and medium enterprise uh, business lending. Uh, They're launching uh, pilot programs. They're trying to do it digitally. They're really trying to reinvent themselves and create a new way to move forward. And averaging down into a company that's doing those sorts of things um, is just not the way that I want to play. So good luck to Alan if he's done well. And if he's back towards break even, then uh, all power to him. But this is just not a company that I would want to buy at the moment. 
simply because it's just too messy for me. There's too okay. many moving parts, um, so that would All be right. an avoid. All right. Chris, Cindy wants a view on Whitehaven Coal. Um, if you have an ESG filter on your investing, you wouldn't even look at it. Uh, if you've got a money-making uh, filter on your, uh, on your investing, it's been printing money, has it? They gave an update last week. Massive amounts of cash coming in into this thing. Yeah, and I'm going to give you a skiting warning again, Koshi, so forgive me as I pat myself <laughs> no, on the no. back here. But I, um, I wrote this one up on uh, on the 14th and suggested uh, uh, our members buy it on a move through 555. Now, it just so happens that later that morning, that was when the whispers came out that the Chinese were going to uh, remove their ban on Australian coal. So sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. In this yep. case, fortunately, I was both. Um, but I do quite like this one. I think, uh, you know, it will track the coal price. There's no two ways about that. Hang on, is this as good as it gets, though? No. I don't think so. Right. I think uh, target up towards uh, eight bucks, eight bucks thirty, something like that is where you should be targeting. Um, okay. Because I think there's, I think the coal price will remain high long enough that these guys continue can continue to op, uh, operate uh, with some uh, efficiency. Uh, and their fourth quarter results show that you know one point four billion in cash flow uh, in yeah. that final quarter. I think their entire cash flow last year was something around three hundred million dollars, and they did one point four billions in a quarter. Yeah. So uh, I think there's more upside on offer. And uh, yeah, like. I said, I've already given yeah. you my price target, so that's okay. it. So even at these prices, Scott, it's been put to me that resource stocks, yes, and, and resources go in a cycle, but mm. the coal cycle is broken uh, <laughs> because, uh, because there are no new mines that will be approved and, mm. and basically you can't finance a new um, a new coal mine. So when prices go up, usually you, you see lots of supply come on and everyone start new mines, but they can't now because there's no money to do it and your governments won't give you approval. Yeah, I think that's right, Koshi. I think that the challenge for investors is not, as you say, the question of can supply keep up with, with demand growing or flat demand but actually the reverse, will demand fall fast enough to undo yeah. the supply story? That, that, that is the, the key question for long-term investors. To Chris's point, maybe there is a price at $8 somewhere on the way through. Again, it's not my, not my game, and Chris knows better than I do on that one. So uh, I'll take, you, take his view on that. But long-term, you've got to ask yourself, as you say, there's probably not going to be a lot of new coal mines approved around the world. Probably good news for the environment. But those who have one... Is it a license to print money? And this this kind of reminds me of peak oil. You know, yeah. we we're never going to run out of oil, not because it's not infinite, it's absolutely finite, but because at some point the price goes up sufficiently to actually keep demand or push demand away, right? It's something, there's always going to be enough oil because the price will go up as it gets harder to get out of the ground, as it costs more to get to, to the port and therefore to the end consumer. The same will be true of coal at some point. There'll be fewer and fewer mines. The price will go higher if demand stays. The key challenge is we know in Australia, for example, uh, at one point we had 25% of our coal-fired production offline, and that was yeah. we're still kind of going through that at the moment over the last month, month and a half. I wouldn't want to bet uh, on long-term demand staying at the current level. That's the key big question for me, because if it does, I think Chris is right, and this is also why, quick editorial, ESG investing is fine if you want to take a, a purely ethical view and just simply say, I don't mind not making money. But those people who say, ESG is the only way to make money because if it's not ESG, it can't possibly turn a profit. Well, Whitehaven is exactly showing us how, how much of a folly that is. So be very careful when you come to ESG investing. But when it comes to Whitehaven, I am going to give this one a miss, not because I know what happens in the short term. Chris may well be right at $8 or $8.30. Um, just because I think over time, 
I think the macro trends are against you. And kind of one of those things, it would have been like investing maybe in uh, in wood chips. Remember the old guns operation? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. At some point you say, okay, we know the end's coming. We know the social license is going away. Can I make some money before the end game? Turns out maybe there was some money being made by somebody, but those who got left holding the bag were completely wiped out. Yeah. Now that's not coming anytime soon for Whitehaven, but if governments and consumers or the investment community starts seeing an end or a perceived end, sentiment can destroy your returns pretty quickly. Okay. So if you've got a short-term view or a medium-term view, no dramas hanging on and letting it play out. Again, I don't have that that luxury. I don't, I don't have that, that skill. If I look five years out and say, how confident am I that the coal price is high enough to justify today's share price? The answer is I'm not confident at all. So uh, I would stay away from this one, not because it can't go higher in the short to medium right. term, just because I'm not confident it will still be higher over the long term. Okay. It pays good dividends. Um, <laughs> um, Reese, uh, final stock which we'll have to whip through. Uh, Scott, Reese wants mm-hmm. a view on Orica, the big uh, uh, explosives and fertilizer business. I love this. This was an original supplier uh, of explosives during the Victorian gold rush in the 1870s. And it's still less. Yeah, what cool a story. great story, yeah. is it? Fantastic. It's a really, really cool story. Um, Look, I, I like Orica the business. You've, you've got to be good to be in business for 150 years. Yeah. Uh, it's it's doing it's doing it well as a, as an operation. Two things to be mindful of. The first is this is more cyclical than you might otherwise assume, uh, particularly when it comes to mining involvement, but just general prices and costs as well. So just be a little bit careful about what proportion you're paying of today's earnings versus next year's and maybe five or seven years earnings. So just be a little bit careful with that. The other thing, unfortunately, is I think there was a time to buy Orica and that chart shows us the story. Um, 26 times earnings now, there's been a bit of a theme. When I get over 20, 23, 24 times earnings, I get really, really cold feet. At best, this is a marginal buy. Um, I made an ex- exception for ResMed for, I think, justifiable reasons. There's such long-term secular tailwinds. But Orica, I'm not confident enough, given that it can be a cyclical business, to pay right. 26 times earnings and a, a price that high. So okay. giving it a miss, no. um, when it comes down, one for the quality list, absolutely. Uh, Chris? With my medium-term hat on, uh, I am I'm a buy. I really like their recent results. They had a good uh, improvement in the Asia-Pacific region, which had been uh, they'd been struggling there for a while. They've been managed. Uh, they've sorry. They've managed to pass on costs very effectively, and they've also managed their uh, raw materials costs as well. So I think uh, I think this is a buy right now. Probably in target around eighteen bucks. Okay. All right, guys. We've got a dash. Uh, clock is beating. Scott Phillips from the Motley Fool. Great to see you, mate. Chris from Marcus today. Thanks again. Uh, let's Thanks, just uh, recap the uh, the final five stocks. Uh, Breville, a cautious buy from both uh, Chris and Scott. Uh, Redmed, Resmed, a yes from both. Thorn, a no. Whitehaven Coal, a no from Scott, but a yes from uh, from Chris. And the same with Orica, a no from Scott and a yes from Chris. If you've got any stocks you'd like us to uh, look at here for me to put to our expert panel, uh, email them, the call at osbiz.com today you and tweet us using the at TV handle. See all the stocks in the Coles Fantasy portfolio, osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. We'll get you there. Um, we'll see you same time tomorrow, midday, Australian Eastern Standard Time for another edition of The Call. Stay around though. A lot more coming up on Osbiz after this.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 